Welcome to Reproductive Left, produced by WERU in collaboration with Mabel Wadsworth Women's Health Center, a feminist, client-centered sexual and reproductive health care provider in Bangor, Maine. I'm your host, Abby Strout. On each show, we tackle a topic that impacts our sexual and reproductive health by inviting members of our community who work specifically on the subject. Reproductive Left covers a variety of issues, including, but certainly not limited to, reproductive rights, feminism, access to services, sexuality, gender, and relationships. To wrap up our show, we answer your sexual and reproductive health questions in our Ask Mabel segment. Be sure to stick around for it. I'm going to start today's show by quoting Ruth Lockhart, Executive Director of Mabel Wadsworth Women's Health Center. Breast cancer doesn't discriminate. It affects all women, regardless of their income, age, or employment. She wrote this in an opinion piece published by the Bangor Daily News last month titled, We Have to Say Yes to More Than Pink Tulips and Ribbons for Maine Women. One in eight women will be diagnosed with breast cancer. And while she's right, breast cancer doesn't discriminate, she went on to explain that women who have health insurance and the means to see their healthcare provider regularly for breast exams and mammograms fare much better. A 2012 report by the American Journal of Managed Care found that uninsured women diagnosed with breast cancer are 2.5 times more likely to have a late-stage diagnosis than women with coverage. As Maine leaders refuse to expand Medicaid coverage, thousands of women continue to fall through the cracks. Joining me today is Suzanne Bruner, Director of Caring Connections, a local organization that helps meet the needs of underserved women in our community. Caring Connections is a nonprofit cooperative program of the Bangor YMCA and Eastern Maine Medical Center. It provides outreach, education, advocacy, and support, as well as access to quality breast and cervical health services. The primary goal is to improve the physical and emotional health and wellness of women in northern and down east Maine. Suzanne Bruner also serves on Mabel Wadsworth Center's Board of Directors. Today, Suzanne and I are going to discuss the support and services that Caring Connection provides. We will also explore the difference between breast cancer prevention campaigns and the well-known awareness campaigns. But before I bring her on, I'm going to read a story sent to us from Shannon Connor, who has benefited from their work. We're starting this show with a story because our goal for Reproductive Left is to center women's experiences. Here is her story. Caring Connections was there for me from the beginning of a diagnosis of breast cancer from a very shocked 36-year-old. After helping my mom through chemo from breast cancer, I decided to have my baseline mammogram. This decision saved my life. I was given a bringing books packet from my surgeon, which held a wealth of information and let me reach out for support. They helped me to find a support group and led me to find a little financial support for reconstruction 
of my right breast since I had to have a mastectomy. Caring Connections is exactly as it says. Now being an eight-year survivor, I attend the retreat annually and many other events that I am able. Thank you, Shannon, for sharing your story with us. Now we'll speak with Suzanne. Hi, Suzanne. Welcome to Reproductive Left. Thanks for being here with me today. Thanks, Abby. It's great to be here. Appreciate it. First, I would like to have you just talk a bit about your work with Caring Connections. I always like to talk about Caring Connections, so uh, I'd be glad to do that. Um, it's always hard for me to encapsulate all we do at Caring Connections. We do quite a bit. First, I'll talk a little bit about our outreach efforts. Um, we've shown a great deal of success over many years in recruiting, navigating, and retaining underserved women for a regular breast health screening program through the Main Breast and Cervical Health Program. We found multifaceted approach in advertising and community outreach yields the most success in reaching low-income, uninsured women, including those who are older or from minority populations. We conduct um, extensive outreach in primary care offices, dentist offices, mental health clinics, chiropractors, all, all in our service area. We provide them with brochures for their waiting rooms and flyers with tear-off contact information for their exam rooms. Many, our most common referral source is from providers, and so we've also held lunch and learn information sessions for area office staff, and we detail our services for them because they're, they can often um, have the most time to talk to clients who come into the offices. And we talk about transportation that's included and patient navigation that we provide. We also provide um, routine contact with businesses such as grocery stores, food pantries, hair and nail salons, convenience stores, discount department stores, bowling alleys, can and bottle redemption centers, and ask them to display the flyers advertising our screening program. Just about anywhere we can think of that would be uh, where low-income and uninsured women might be um, showing up. We also contact um, area employers such as nursing homes, fish processing plants, seasonal business such as wreath makers who may not be required to offer health insurance to their employees. Um, we also work cooperatively with agencies and organizations that serve population that may serve, um, have additional barriers to health care, such as older women, lesbians, and women with disabilities. We really work hard to find creative ways to advertise, such as running advertising panels at bowling alleys and dance halls and buying ads on the placemats of moderately priced restaurants. We target um, small town offices outside the Greater Bangor area that are rural in nature and meet with the staff in those town offices, um, also with church leaders and any other service providers to discuss specific ways we can reach women living in their towns um, in order to make them know about um, our services. Um, women who enroll, enroll in the program are also offered transportation, which is always a big challenge in our area. And we also accompany women to appointments and assistance with other types of barriers, such as child care. And we are able to offer a very small travel stipend to women who live 25 or more miles from Bangor. So all of those things go into our outreach program. 
You also provide educational services. What are those? We, we do. Um, we provide health education at community meetings, places such as church groups, homeless shelters, drug treatment centers, health fairs, town festivals, agricultural fairs, parades, rural country music jams, anyone who will allow us to set up a table and talk about breast and cervical health for women. Um, our education sessions include screening recommendations, the signs and symptoms women should pay attention to, and information on reducing cancer risk through exercise, diet, weight management, and lowering alcohol consumption. So many things involved in our education program as well. That is a lot. Yes. What um, do you do for women with breast cancer? Well, um, one thing we do is offer to accompany them and take notes at consultations with surgeons, other treatment providers such as radiology, and um, oncologists, as well as provide information on various financial assistance programs. We link newly diagnosed women with trained peer supporters who have had similar diagnoses and treatments, somebody who can really help and has been there and understands what it's like that they're going through. We have weekly support group meetings for all breast cancer survivors as well as specialized groups And we also offer activities for families because breast cancer doesn't happen just to the woman. It affects the entire family. We have online support mechanisms. We use Facebook a great deal. We have a free monthly newsletter. We have an extensive resource lending library. And probably most popular is our annual survivor's retreat in the fall. People love coming and being pampered and having a chance to just get away and relax. Uh, We also have a very popular Thrive with Exercise program that's offered through the Bangor YMCA through their Health and Wellness Department. So those are just a few of the other things we do. How did you get involved in this work? Well, um, I like to say that I used to be a nurse, um, but my nursing friends tell me that once you're a nurse, you're always a nurse. Um, And uh, so I've often in my career been involved in public health and public health awareness issues. I actually started out as a pediatric nurse, but um, public health is a very broad spectrum uh, profession. And so um, many of the things I've done have happened in the community, and this position became available as director, and um, it fit right into my um, expertise area. I also have a very strong family history of breast cancer. I'm not a survivor myself, but my mother, my aunt, my cousin, a very good friend of mine, um, all had breast cancer. And I also have a sister-in-law who died of breast cancer. So um, I'm very familiar with this disease. As I said in the beginning, one in eight women will be diagnosed, and that shows in our lives. Yes, absolutely. I want to talk about... The difference between the breast w- breast cancer awareness campaigns and prevention campaigns. Could you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, I think that this is a shift that is just now becoming clearer from a public health standpoint. Um, when we talk about awareness, I think who doesn't know about breast cancer? We're I think we're all aware of it. Certainly, we need to women to know more about their bodies and be aware of things that might be happening in their bodies. Um, but I don't think we need awareness in the same way that we used to in terms of people understanding that it exists. 
Um, I think we need to be educating women about how to stay healthy. That's really what prevention is about. A lot of money has gone into improving diagnosis and treatment, and that's really been very important in saving and extending people's women's lives. But we really don't know what causes breast cancer, and I think that's where we need to be putting more money. Not to say that we shouldn't be still supporting the diagnosis and treatment of cancer, breast cancer, because it, unfortunately it still exists. But the bigger priority, I think, need, really needs to shift to preventing breast cancer. And then we wouldn't have that need to cure it. Are these the same organizations doing the prevention work as well as the awareness campaigns? Well, the campaigns are run by different organizations with really different philosophies. Um, there are certainly competing thoughts, and there's a certain level of politics involved when you talk about breast cancer. Unfortunately, some of it involves the corporatization of the pink ribbon and companies trying to attract buyers of their products through pasting a pink ribbon on the product. Um, just this week, I saw a pink ribbon on a bag of potato chips, which kind of made me concerned because that's not exactly a healthy food. So it's really difficult enough from a public health standpoint to change the message from cure to prevention. But if you're interfering in corporate profits at the same time, it becomes even more difficult. Do I understand that they have come from different philosophies, but do they try, do these organizations try to collaborate on projects? Yes, I think there's a greater attempt to um, be involved in the research realm in terms of fundraising for research and towards prevention. And with Caring Connections, do they fall um, kind of in between? Do they do, do you do more prevention? Do you do more awareness? I would say we do. We focus a lot on prevention. We talk a lot about um, exercise. We talk a lot about nutrition, eating healthy foods, those kinds of things. When we're particularly when we're doing community education events. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Reproductive Left, produced by WERU in collaboration with Mabel Wadsworth Women's Health Center. I am Abby Strout. Here with me today is Suzanne Bruner from Caring Connections, and we're talking about breast cancer prevention and care. There are many slogans out there about breast cancer awareness that are supposed to be catchy, lighthearted, fun, like save the tatas, um, and don't let cancer steal second base. What are your reactions to these slogans? Well, I personally find these slogans offensive. I know that from an advertising perspective, because they're catchy, people think that it's helpful to have them out there. But I think that um, breast cancer is not about sexualizing women's breasts. Um, women are more than their breasts. Um, there is some difference of opinion about that. Some think that anything that gets women to pay attention to their bodies and any changes that they may detect is a good thing. But I think breast cancer has absolutely nothing to do with those slogans. It's devastating. It's a very frightening experience for women. And we need to pay attention to the whole woman, not just what the sexualization of her breast um, portrays. Before you were talking about how Caring Connections focuses a lot on health and preventative care, what are some of the things that we can do in our daily lives or changes that we can make to decrease our risk of breast cancer? Well, first I would say to get educated. Advocate for yourself. Know about 
um, what your breasts feel like, um, wh what when there are differences, make sure that anything you find that is concerning to you, you bring to your healthcare provider and ask them to check it out for you. Um, there are lots of very good breast cancer sites out there. I recommend the National Breast Cancer Coali Coalition. Um, that is at breastcancerdeadline2020.org. The Breast Cancer Fund that um, really supports um, paying attention to the chemicals in our home, in cosmetics, and also in healthy food. And that's breastcancerfund.org. And then the National Cancer Institute is a very um, wide, in-depth look at all cancers, and that's at cancer.gov. First of all, know your risk. Talk to your family to learn about your family health history. Talk to your healthcare provider about your personal risk for breast cancer. Secondly, get screened. Have a mammogram every year. We um, promote the American Cancer Society guidelines, which say every year at age 40, if you're at average risk, you should have a mammogram. Also a clinical breast exam at least every three years starting at age 20 and every year starting at age 40. Also ask your doctor if these screening tests are the right sequence for you. Um, perhaps you're at higher risk and you may need additional screening. Third, know what is normal for you. See your health care provider right away if you notice any breast changes. And fourth, make healthy lifestyle choices. Sometimes these are the most difficult for some of us. Maintaining a healthy weight, adding exercise into your regular routine, and limiting your alcohol intake. Some of those changes are easier to make than others. Absolutely. <laughs> I have one last question for you before we move into our Ask Mabel segment with nurse practitioner Terry Marley DeRozier. Mm -hmm. If women need... Um, Access to more information about Caring Connections, where can they find it? We are located at the Bangor Y, so you can call the general Bangor Y number, 941-2808, and just ask for Caring Connections, 941-2808, um, and just ask for Caring Connections. Um, we also um, ha are located on the Bangor Y website um, under Community Outreach, and um, we also are very active on Facebook. Karen Connections has a Facebook page. And uh, we also have a private um, site on Facebook for young women who've been diagnosed with breast cancer. Their needs are slightly different than um, older women. And so we've created a space for them because they have busy lives, they have children, um, and getting together in a support group is difficult. Um, we find that Facebook is a very helpful place for them to be able to communicate. And all they have to do, anyone who is interested in that site can contact us, and we can add you to that page. Oh, that's a great idea. I know that most people use Facebook as their way of communicating. Absolutely. So to have a group mm -hmm. um, support, I love that. So thank you very much for being here, Suzanne, for taking the time to meet with me today and providing our listeners with this information. Well, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back to answer your sexual and reproductive health questions in our Ask Mabel segment.
Welcome to Ask Mabel with nurse practitioner Terry Marley DeRozier. In this segment, Terry will answer your sexual and reproductive health questions. If you have a question you'd like us to answer, please email educate at mabelwadsworth.org. Our first question comes from Rebecca. She says, I'm scheduled for my first pap smear soon. What can I expect? Rebecca, that's a great question, um, and I think it's important for us to try to respond to that for you to decrease any um, anxiety that you might have around this visit. Um, I'd like to start by saying that um, currently the standard of care um, is that for a person with a cervix, the first pap smear or pap test um, is done at age 21 and not before. So if you're younger than 21, um, your visit may include a pelvic exam without a pap smear or you may not have to have a pelvic exam at all. Uh, but let's assume you are 21 or older and are going um, to your GYN provider uh, for that intimidating first pap. It is so normal uh, to feel wicked nervous ab about this whole process, as it is with any uh, new experience. Uh, most women, however, do say afterwards that it was nowhere near as bad an experience as they had expected. Um, do expect to be asked to undress from the waist down for the exam. So wear something that's easy for you to get in and out of and allows you to, to keep your top on. Um, don't wear a thong panty that day in case you do want to use a small pad after your exam. The provider will enter the room and sit on a stool at the end of the table and ask you to move your body down to the end. Then she will um, help you place your feet in stirrups, which allows you to rest your legs apart fairly comfortably. Uh, this position, however, can feel very awkward and vulnerable. It does facilitate the provider uh, being able to evaluate the entire pubic area and make sure everything is normal and healthy. The evaluation will include feeling outside of the vagina. Um, the provider will have on a disposable glove and she will be or he will be looking for any abnormalities like lumps, bumps, uh, discoloration, signs of trauma, or any um, sense of tenderness that you might um, have. And that process takes about 30 seconds. The clinician then will insert a speculum. This could be plastic or metal. Um, the speculum is an instrument uh, that allows for the clinician to view your uh, vaginal walls, internal vaginal secretions, and also to look at your cervix. Uh, your cervix is the end of your uterus uh, at the back of your vagina. The pap test then uh, collects cells from your cervix with a small, soft broom or brush type swab. This may feel slightly crampy uh, and lasts about 10 seconds. Some women will have a light spotting, a light bloody spotting after the pap test is done, and this is normal. Uh, the pap test is looking for any cellular abnormalities, and sometimes it can also uh, pick up vaginal infections. After the pap test has been obtained, your provider will remove the speculum and examine your vaginal area uh, with one or two fingers inserted. Uh, one hand will also be on top of your abdomen and this allows for the examiner to assess your uterus and ovaries. Then you will be able to sit up and get dressed and you're done. Your healthcare provider's office should notify you of your results, usually within a couple of weeks of the test. And it's always important that you be informed of your test results. So if your provider doesn't contact you, 
in a couple weeks, you give them a call. And this helps to avoid any um, abnormalities being, you know, dropped through the cracks. Our next question is from Angela, and she wants to know if all vaginal discharge is an infection. Angela, I think a lot of women um, wonder about this. Uh, certainly not all vaginal secretions are caused by an infection, and the vagina needs a certain amount of uh, moisture to be healthy and to make intercourse and intimacy comfortable. Uh, however, if you're having symptoms of itching, burning, uh, pain, odor, then it certainly uh, may be an infection, and you may want to check with your clinician for evaluation. And our last question comes from Colleen. Um, she writes, I am 17 and pregnant. I know that I want an abortion, but I don't know how to get one or who to talk to. Colleen, if you're in the greater Bangor area or anywhere in Maine, uh, you may call us at the Mabel Wadsworth Women's Health Center toll free at 1-800-948-5337. Or if you are local, the number is 947-5337. You may also email us at info at mabelwadsworth.org. Uh, we also have the Mabel Wadsworth website, um, which has a lot of uh, great information about abortion care there. Um, and we also uh, would recommend that if you have the opportunity, even though you're sure of your decision, if you have the opportunity to involve um, a trusted adult, we do recommend that. Um, here at Mabel Wadsworth Center, we currently do provide abortion care services, both medication and suction procedures, and we can also be a resource for you if you should need to access abortion care out of our area. Great. Those are all the Ask Mabel questions we have for you today. Thanks, Terry, and thank you all for listening. That's all we have for you today. Remember, we love to hear from you. If you have questions for Ask Mabel, or if you'd like to respond to today's show, please email educate at mabelwadsworth.org or tweet at reproleft. For more information about Mabel Wadsworth Center, visit www.mabelwadsworth.org or Mabel Wadsworth Women's Health Center on Facebook. Thanks for listening to Reproductive Left, produced by WERU in collaboration with Mabel Wadsworth Women's Health Center. I'm Abby Strout. Tune in next time, the first Tuesday of the month at 4 p.m. right here at WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming everywhere at www.weru.org.